0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Art Blog Radio. I'm your host for today, Whit Lopez. I'm super excited to be sitting in the gallery at Philadelphia Photo Arts Center with Rashad Newsom, who has a really amazing show that's here in the gallery but is also a three-part uh, art experience. Um, this beautiful show is called To Be Real and it includes really amazing collages as well as sculpture. So welcome to the show, Rashad.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, thank you, this is really beautiful. Thank you for bringing your work to Philadelphia. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what you put in this
1: gallery? So um, To Be Real is the exhibition component of Black Magic. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of an amalgamation of a lot of ideas I've been thinking through over the past, well really, yeah, I would say decade. and. Um, A lot of the works in the show are really centered around uh, sort of the importance of the imagination as a way for um, marginal people to kind of sort of free themselves from subjugation. You know, just kind of thinking a lot about uh, how oftentimes we have these frames that are projected on us. particularly as black people and as queer people and how we're always trying to sort of expand or escape that frame that's put on us. That's sort of why the frames are very prominent in the exhibition because mm. they're sort of a visual representation of that. And so every work in the show is engaged in its own form of resistance to either escape Um, or expand the frame, the one work that has Mm. made it out of the frame um, would be Ancestor, the sculpture here on the floor. Which is Um, absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. Um, And so, and then sort of like the anchor of the exhibition is Being, the first generation of my uh, LACMA Art and Technology Prize project. And Being, for me, represents really being free being has not only escaped the frame but they because they are an ai they exist in completely in the realm of the imagination Mm. and so they can be anywhere um at any time and they can be anything and so uh wow that's sort of what i was thinking about for this show
0: that is amazing mind is blown i i really love it like this is it's gorgeous so i also noticed that a couple of the frames have chains on them Mm -hmm. as well um and i mean from like a jewelry perspective the chain shapes are also like jewelry chain shapes. Uh, they're very common chains that are used within like jewelry making. But do they represent anything else or do they represent anything at all?
1: Yeah, they do. Um, when I first started my collage work, it kind of came out of me looking at heraldry, um, which is you know essentially an image made of images that represent rank position and status within popular culture. And initially I was thinking about, so like, what would be the images that represent this distorted notion of power today? Mm. And I was looking at sort of like, you know, as being from New Orleans, like bling culture, you know, kind of looking at advertising and popular culture and pulling images that sort of participate in the culture of domination that teaches us that we need things to have value and kind of using Mm. those images to construct pictures that um, critique the culture of domination. And so very early on, rather than drawing a line, I was using images to create a line. And so the chain became my kind of mark, mark making tool which eventually you know, entered the frames and into the videos and everything else. So it's like a, an image that I go back to. But I think also it's an elaborate allegory about um, sort of how sometimes we can be caught in a paradigm where we feel that we need these things to have value. But if you're in a position where... Um, in an inequitable society, you don't have the same position to acquire those things, so you're kind of caught in this paradigm of constantly trying to get something that you can't have, which then means that you don't have value if your value is based on that. And so the chains also represent that kind of like bondage and as a representation of how we need to constantly you know, do the work to decolonize our minds. That's real, yeah. that's real, wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that. I feel that. Um, and, I, and for me, like, I'm from Brooklyn, New York originally, and so Bling culture is definitely also a huge part of just existing as a Black person or as a Latinx person, as a queer person in New York City. So this resonates a lot, a lot with me, too. So I, I appreciate you having that as part of your work and also connecting it to Blackness, queerness uh, together. So I also noticed in your work, is like this iconography, not just uh, bling, right, like you have folks with fronts on their teeth, but then also you have African sculptures that look like West African or portions of West African sculptures collaged into your work as well. Um, are there reasons why you chose those specifically? in your work
1: yeah in regards to the the mouths with the grills that's something that i've been doing for a while and there's several um ways in which that came in one is um i love the movie uh little shop of horrors and so (laughs) you know when i started to bring flowers in the work (laughs) i'm so bummed i never got to see it when it was on broadway but like um so the mouth being in the butt of the flower
0: Honestly, was inspired Audrey
1: by Audrey. Yeah. So, but um, so that's just kind of like a fun reference. But at the at the same time, it really is in the context of these um, floral pieces. They're very much engaged in like the history of uh, Dutch still life, which was oh. a lot about you know sort yeah. of the um, about venitas and yeah. you know a lot of you know. During that, when that kind of movement started, you know, there were a lot of painters, like the people who could get portraits painted were people who were very wealthy. Who could
0: afford it, exactly.
1: And so what Dutch still life did is kind of like equalize um, that whole idea because it was sort of about the, you know, the one thing that unifies poor people and rich people is the promise of death.
0: And so Mm. a lot of,
1: that's why you're often depicting... um, flowers and fruits and like perishable things to kind of remind us of the promise of death. But for me, I'm kind of flipping that in this piece because the flowers in this work are not organic flowers. They're all jeweled flowers, so they will never die. They'll exist forever. And so Mm. those mouths that are in the flowers are really the mouths of um, black queer people. And for me, that whole kind of reimagining of, you know, the promise of death is sort of thinking Mm. about um, the promise of of immortality, the voice that will never end, that's always going to speak out against dehumanization. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a, I, I
0: appreciate that, though. Like, I, I really do appreciate that. And even just the, the mention of the promise of death, um, but also like this promise of immortality, is that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, so you did mention Little Shop of Horrors. And so th- is there any commentary in this piece that we're looking at about consumption?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that runs through all of the work, just through the use of the imagery that constructs the picture. You know, it's all images of, you know, consumable um, things, which actually brings me back to your question about, you know, the use of the um, the African sculptures. That really came from me, you know, kind of thinking about uh, how my work was always... Uh, in conversation with surrealism and cubism and how we often understand that mm-hmm. as being this kind of Western idea, when yep, in fact,
0: it's you not.
1: know, it, it really comes from, <laughs> you know, European artists going to Africa and looking yep. at the sculptural practices of yep. African people and applying that to the painting surface. Absolutely. And so, it was, you know, I was thinking, what does it mean for me to kind of reclaim those images and try to make something contemporary and new? And so I see, you know, this work right here really as sort of a, um, Neo cubist work where you know, because when you're looking at a cubist image, you're looking at it from several vantage points at once on several different planes. Mm. And so, I photograph um, different um, dancers that I've worked with in the round and then mm. kind of collage those images together to create this kind of neo cubist form. And it's the, amazing. You know, and then the face is um, cut from several different masks from West and Central Africa.
0: No, it definitely is. I I love it. I love it. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely amazing. And I also love how you added around the inside of the frame are these geometric 3D shapes around surrounding the image of the body and the masks. That's really that that is gorgeous. That's really amazing.
1: Those are references to um, cubism. Um, like more formal references, i had looked at um, the painting Les Demoiselles d'Avignon and um, mapped mm. out the way those surfaces were treated and then uh, rendered them in a 3D program and then had them printed and chromed. And so the whole mirrorized environment that the figure exists in is also sort of a way to kind of uh, implicate the viewer. So, like, you know, I was thinking a lot about how, like, the problems of trying to make counter-hegemonic work in hegemonic spaces. And so That's real. the That's limitations real. of that. And so by, you know, sort of implicating the viewer, you know, there's this whole effort to try to make this work that is trying to free itself, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still existing within a within certain he-
0: yeah, paradigm absolutely. being
1: the gallery, right? Exactly. And so um, by having the viewer be there, you know, it kind of implicates the viewer on the ways in which they are participating in this figure. Um, not being able to be free, mm. you know. Wow. The the piece is called It Do Take Nerve from the line in Paris is Burning when the guy says, um, give him a round of applause because with y'all vicious motherfuckers, it do take nerve. So it do take nerve to try to make transgressive work in hegemonic spaces. That's real,
0: that's real. No, I I, I appreciate that so much. And it's true. It, it does take nerve. It mm-hmm. does take nerve. Uh, and shout both shout out to within Jack Misrahi with-
1: too, who like was just here, um, hosted my ball here, and um, he made a song called it Do Take Nerve. So shout out to Jack, he was very <laughs> happy to see this piece.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so you mentioned like freedom and not being free as like two themes kind of that are embodied within this piece that we're sitting right next to. And so with the piece that's on the floor, the sculpture that you said had the opportunity to escape to actually escape from the work and just to be, right? You, you mentioned it was called
1: Being. Um, well, the sculpture is called Ancestor. Oh, and Ancestor. The, OK. the AI is called Being.
0: OK, gotcha, you, gotcha. You. OK, so,
1: sorry, mm-hmm. I mixed that up. Apologies. <laughs> um,
0: but that piece on the floor, can you talk a little bit more about the freedom that it's experiencing? And also, I noticed that it's doing a dip <laughs> like, mm-hmm. very amazingly. And I love that it's doing it, but also kind of frozen in time, since it's a sculpture.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, with that piece, I was really thinking about how to kind of, you know, that whole idea of expanding or escaping the frame. And for me, I wanted the figures that exist in my work to actually escape the frame and be in the space in a three-dimensional way. And so uh, when I started to think about that, you know, like those figures in the work are usually a synthesis of, you know, African sculptures, but then also the bodies of, women who work in the urban model industry mm. and so um, I was thinking how could I render that three-dimensionally and also have it be uh, you know a form of collage where I'm working with things that exist in the world and so um, amazing you know to kind of have that wood veneer kind of hit against you know like a flesh like a uh, Material. And so I started with the bust, and I um, went to Ghana to do research for the show. and I had a master carver carve that bust, and it's based on the, wow. um, the female full mass of the um, chocolate people of the Congo. Mm-hmm. And it, that mass kind of represents um, it, it's, it's a matriarchal society. And so I was thinking about, you know, like uh, agency around. Marginal bodies and how that you know how could I incorporate that conversation into the figure, um, particularly within the diaspora, and so the top part kind of represents that conversation, but then when I was thinking originally like oh, I needed to have you know, like flesh-like legs, and how could I you know get something in the world that already exists to do that? And so mm-hmm. I thought, oh, the sex doll, it was really kind of a practical solution to have that kind of skin like material meat wood yeah. Um, but the odd thing about it is that when I bought um, the sex doll, when I got it, the skin for the black sex doll looked a bit weird. It was kind of like Ashy. this dashy, <laughs> like gray. <laughs> it wasn't really black. It always, wasn't really brown, always. you know. So they hadn't really perfected that. So, um, But the great thing about it is that, it, it, you know, it still allowed the work to kind of exist in like collage. So it's much more assemblage, mm. which is kind of analogous to collage. And so rather than show the flesh, I kind of put tights on it, but the great thing about it is it allowed me to kind of create that perfect dip form. And, um, and then the- That's amazing. The dress that it's wearing was a, a kente that I acquired in um, the Bonre region of Ghana. And it's a um, mm. vintage kente that tells the story of colonialism. Mm.
0: And so I had wow. the dress
1: kind of made wow. of that material. And then stoned it as kind of like to kind of make references to um, kind of like drag and like queer culture, which is also a part of the conversation. Mm. So, yeah, it's um, they represent the ability to actually escape the frame. Mm. And the the pose of them being in a dip is kind of like them in this um, kind of pose where they kind of it's kind of bringing the figure down to the ground and grounding themselves, right? Mm. And caught into like a certain um, form of ecstasy, you know?
0: I love that. That's amazing. So I also noticed that you have them in a pair of red bottoms or Mm loubeton, which is a type (laughs) of shoe that like... uh, that people tend to really like and really enjoy um, mm-hmm. or kind of uphold amongst shoes, like they're treasured amongst all heels. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason why you chose Red Bottoms?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, you know, like I was thinking, I had done a collaboration with Lugoton um, what was it, like uh, three years ago now? Um, wow. For the Killer Heels exhibition at the Brooklyn Museum. And so, you know, during the time I worked on that project, part of the reason I chose to collaborate with them Besides the fact that it was an exhibition around you know women's shoes and like that, uh, the effects you know and how that affects popular culture, I was thinking about um, again you know like images that sort of participate in the culture of domination and how these shoes have become emerged as this object that you know you know particularly black folk really coveted and they really had it was like Absolutely. something that was like really important. It was like a status symbol. That's real, yeah. And so. Um, In the context of that video, I was kind of, it became so absurd the way in which they were used as a way to kind of comment on the whole notion that you need to have those to have value. But I wanted Mm. to kind of bring that back into the work, you know, again, kind of that conversation about the culture of domination and sort of how, like the figure is grounded, but this shoe is sort of held up. (laughs) That's
0: amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Um I, I really love it. Like it's a it's a brilliant, brilliant piece. And I also love that you went directly to the continent to source these things for the imagery of the piece. Um even and I definitely recognize like the weave in the fabric mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, that's a real <laughs> that's a real definitely. one. Yeah. <laughs> um, because a lot of a lot of Kente fabric that we have here in the States and that exists kind of within like western westernized spaces um, is not woven anymore like a lot of times it's just printed directly onto the fabric so Mm -hmm. to see like actual weave like that's that's really amazing you that's beautiful like i really love it thank
1: you for that i was really thinking about too like um what does you know like luxury look like within the diaspora
0: because Mm. uh, you know i had
1: been you know playing with like consumer things and so often our ideas as African-Americans around luxury come from things outside of ourselves. Yes. You know, I was really trying to speak to that in that work over there as well, Ocosia, um, because, you know, she has this very, like, elaborate hairstyle. And I was thinking about, you know, um, the Boner Brothers hair show and mm. the legacy of, of that show, and which yep. is a synonymous with, like, really kind of um, uh, luxurious and el- elaborate hairstyles. And then I was for ancestor when I was thinking about the dress, like, well, when you think about couture within a diasporic space, it's kente, it's artisanal, it's made by Black folk in the continent, and so it was really important that the dress be made out of that material. I kind of wish it was used a lot more, and um, hopefully in modeling how this can be seen as a luxurious um, fabric, for those who don't see it that way, hopefully it will um, inspire.
0: No, that's real. That's real. Um, I mean, trying to acquire it, like trying to acquire authentic fabric uh, from the continent, like here, can definitely be very expensive. So it's like a lot of the prints that you see here tend to be on, like, tend to not cost as much as the actual fabric does when you try to get
1: it shipped here.
0: So, so it's definitely a luxury item, but I don't think enough people know.
1: <laughs> you gotta know folk, you know? Because everybody, somebody's always going home, and then when they come back, you just have right, to bring right. your piece. Yeah. <laughs> That's real. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And bring
0: me some shea butter too. Yeah, you know know it's shea,
1: the cante, all of that. No, that's to Put your order in. (laughs) that's why black people we having all the bags when they come back. (laughs) They're bringing stuff back for everybody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Someone actually taught me once. They were like, "No, what you got to do is you have to mail it back home, so that way it gets there by the time that you get there too." Mm
1: Yeah, the mailing can be a little tricky too. That's so it's always real. good when you can, like, if you know somebody who's going, and they that's can put, real. they can bring it back for you, because then you never know if you're actually gonna get it. Uh,
0: yup, see back. it in the mail, right? Yeah,
1: there's a whole other problem going on there. Yeah, that's real. That's real.
0: Um, so can you talk a little bit about the ball that was had?
1: Yeah, the it was ball. here on
0: Saturday, right?
1: Yeah, the ball. Um, it's again kind of engaging in that whole conversation around. Um, the imagination as a form of um resistance and um in that in that particular project i was thinking about how oftentimes in ballroom um there is the frame that's projected on on folk participating is sort of ironically binary forms of gender like butch queen femme queen and stuff like that's that real, yeah. and like you know it's kind of strange because we're in like this Queer space which should which which not even should it does have room for all types of you know genders and gender presentations, yet somehow there 's still a mirroring of um, heteronormative kind of like systems or ideas of gender, but then there 's also this kind of um, allegiance to capitalism too with like Mm. labels like like uh categories like labels and stuff like that and so much about what you can acquire so like the culture of domination shows up again and so with the ball what I'm trying to do with that frame is completely obliterated and put a premium Mm. on creativity so what does it mean for um someone to walk and reimagine you know a McAllean painting on the ballroom floor or wow. a Marlon Riggs segment and a video on ballroom floor or mm. a Bill T. Jones piece. So it's really kind of wow. asking people to, you know, use their imagination as a way rather than what you can have and hopes and hopefully that idea will kind of continue um, outside of ballroom.
0: That's real. That's real. Wow. Hmm. I never thought about that, but the idea of like how can you recreate a painting or a photo or an object on the foot. That's amazing. That sounds really great. Uh, I'm sad that I missed it. <laughs> Next time, wherever there's another one, I'm gonna be there. I'm In gonna Miami. Picture. Hey, listen. If I gotta get on that plane, I'm gonna be on that plane.
1: Yes, come join us. It's gonna um, be the the Titans ball. So it's gonna be the oh my the God. best of the best. All the, the battles that you never get to see that oh you want to see. That
0: sounds happening. amazing. Oh. Yeah. I <laughs> I can't wait! I can't wait. That's super exciting. Um, so, what else do you have on the timeline besides this Titans Ball that you mentioned in December fourth? Do you have any other shows that are accompanying this exhibition? Well, that are coming up
1: on Saturday, I'll be doing um, the third part of this project, which is my performance five, um, and I'm working with um, a group of New York-based um, vocal performers and Philadelphia, as well as New York and Philadelphia-based musicians. And um, in that piece, uh, the frame kind of re-emerges again. Um, a big part of that piece is about kind of like the diasporic tradition of improvisation. Mm. And so I, um, I have this um, custom-made motion tracking technology that I use in the performance that's also a form of collage because it's creative coding and different um, video game hardware. Mm. And during the live performance, um, there's sort of a frame on the floor in which the dancer performs one of the five elements of Vogue Femme. And as they perform, the dancer, I mean, the musicians and the vocalists and I all imbue them with, you know, improvisational energy we're all just kind of playing like sort that's of a, amazing. a jazz trio and as they are charged with this energy um, I motion track their movements and you see this form being generated on the screen above them that has kind of escaped the frame as a way to kind of talk again about kind of escaping the frame that is brilliant that is, oh my god <laughs> like,
0: oh yeah, the way so, your yeah. mind works is like brilliant that, that is amazing yeah. to create something that's so Multi-layered, multi-dimensional, but like very representational of the collage of Black culture, of queer culture, of ball culture. Thank you, yeah, thank, thank you. you. Like that. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am in the presence of greatness. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Oh my goodness! Wow, this is. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I would say the next
1: I would say that's coming up is um, you know so that performance will complete the sort of East Coast uh, presentation but then the whole project is gonna to travel to the Bay Area, to mm. uh, Fort Mason Center for Art and Culture. Wow. So we'll stage the exhibition again, and um, there'll be a performance, but this time it will be my performance running, which is all about the kind of um, diasporic tradition of like vocal runs, as well as um, another ball, but in the Bay. Area. That's amazing. Oh my, <laughs> that is so
0: exciting. <laughs> that's that's really cool and it definitely is a diasporic uh vocal tradition mm-hmm. yeah and it takes so many different shapes throughout mm-hmm. the diaspora and so many different parts of it are valued mm-hmm. depending on where you are and what you do like there are some things that are only valued in church that are mm-hmm. not as valued mm-hmm. <laughs> outside of a black church um but yeah that that sounds amazing i might have to hop on a plane to the bay too yes too. <laughs> come on yeah oh my goodness well, thank you so much. This has really been, this has been an amazing uh, interview. Thank you for your time, thank you for your energy, thank you for your talent and for sharing it with the Philadelphia community. It's very, very appreciated um, for you know putting blackness and queerness on display in this really respectful and uh, just kind of, it feels like a it's an honor, thank you. Like I, as a black queer person, I appreciate this. I really, really do. Um, means a lot to me like this is beautiful (laughs) this is beautiful um and it's not a mockery you know which which unfortunately happens way too much I feel like so thank you um thank you for real I really appreciate it um but also thank you for your time today I'm deeply appreciative of this. Um, and I look forward to seeing more of your work in the future. And I'm telling you, if I have to get on that plane to the bay, I will. i definitely
1: well, come we'll you. I'll definitely see, come see you. your
0: work. Oh, it's exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. And thank you to those of you who are listening. If you want to listen to this, you can listen to it on Artblog's Blog's website, on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a wonderful day. Bye, y'all.